Hello, and welcome to the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast, a show for people who want to take their personal training businesses and fitness coaching skills to the next level. Team Alloy has been in the personal training business since 1992 and share their insights from working with businesses and brands around the world. Listen in for secrets and tips on running a successful fitness business from personal training, marketing, staff management, scaling your business, and everything in between. If you are interested in having your own personal training business, our systems are well-developed, and we are focusing on very discrete segments which we think are the secrets to success. Now, let's get started with our host. Welcome, everyone. We have a special treat today. (laughs) You guys have heard me say many times in the past that everyone needs a coach, and though I do a bunch of coaching, I too have a coach, which is my friend sitting right here. So I'm proud to introduce my buddy, good friend, great business coach, Tim Fulton, and um, Tim's got a laundry list of accolades and backgrounds, so I'm going to run through them quickly just so you'll know, have a little context and know who I'm talking to today. So Tim, you're from uh, Miami, Grew up in Miami. Canes fan? Uh, absolutely. And, oh, yeah? and dolphins. Okay. Really? Yeah. Still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that must yeah. be tough. <laughs> it, it's been a tough run. <laughs> hey, then you went to Lane, right? Mm-hmm. In, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. got an economics degree and an MBA. You got it in five years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You were working hard. Yeah. So you weren't partaking in all the fun things that happened in New Orleans. As, as much as I could. <laughs> tough juggling act. And that's where you uh, developed an affinity for jazz music, right? Or liking yeah. For that. yeah. Cajun food. Yeah. yeah. Still? And, and met my wife there. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. College sweetheart. Well, I'll skip ahead. You've been married to her, Remy, for 36 years, mm-hmm. right? And God bless you for that. Yeah. That's very Thank hard you. to do. I've also been married for a million years, so yeah. I get it. Listen, you've owned and operated several businesses. So the great thing about you as a business coach is, you know, in the latter part of the last probably decade or so, you've done a lot of coaching, mm-hmm. which is as important as, you know, teaching. But you also were in the trenches. So you were an entrepreneur yourself, started and sold many business ventures, right? Yeah. All small and, business. And made every mistake imaginable. <laughs> that's, I think that's the only way to learn it. <laughs> it right? Is. I don't it remember is. if you can, uh, if you think back to your young self, when people would give you advice, you'd think, yeah, not me. Oh yeah. 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 I'm way smarter than that. Yeah. Yeah. That won't happen here. <laughs> <laughs> Never. I'm sure you've heard that before yeah. in your coaching also. Yeah. Came to Atlanta uh, and one of your companies was an internet software company, right? Mm-hmm. Dang. So I didn't even, I didn't realize this. Any, I'm, I'm actually learning about you as we speak. This is great. So an Inc 500 company and then sold to a fortune 1000 company. So congrats. I didn't realize you you. did that. Mm -hmm. Um, In 92, which is when we opened our gym here, which Mm. is interesting, you opened or you started uh, Small Business Matters. Mm -hmm. And that's still running. Yep. 20 um, years and going. Yeah. Just to give you guys a heads up, I will link to Small Business Matters in the footnotes for the show today, just so that you guys can. And there's a ton of great resources on there. I think one of my favorite things you do, which you have listed here, is you have a really great newsletter Mm -hmm. that comes out. Um, So Tim's a great writer. He's an author of a couple of books Mm -hmm. as well. What's the latest book you came out with? I actually bought it and distributed it to to all my uh, guys. Uh, small business matters in the second book was small business matters and all that jazz going that back was to the one. my New Orleans uh, days, and I'm in the midst of writing a third book. Are now. you really? Yeah. Gosh, man, uh, I guess retirement's going well for you. <laughs> yeah. I was teasing Tim before we before we started recording that he's also a Vistage chair. So if you guys don't know about Vistage, it's a great sort of uh, business coaching formatting group. I think it's a, a worldwide sure yeah, organization. Yeah. And uh, Tim was a Vistage chair for how many groups? Uh, three groups over uh, 16 years. Wow. Okay, great. And the, I was sat on one of that's how mm-hmm. I met Tim as I, I joined Vistage and he was my Vistage chair. So again, that's 15 or so different people from different industries all sitting at a table 
meeting monthly discussing best business practices. And it was Tim's sort of role to guide and coach all of these folks through the meetings and then individually as well. So that's how we met. Tell me about GrowSmart. That's mm-hmm. something else you started here in Georgia. About the same time that I started as a Vistage chair, the uh, Small Business Development Center Network in Georgia, which is a arm of the SBA, the Small Business Administration, they were looking for a training program for existing business owners in, in Georgia. So much of their work historically has been with startups. And yep. They wanted to start working with existing businesses. So they came to me and said, hey, can you help us put together a, a training program? And it turned out to be a, a 40-hour, five-full-day training program on all what I think are the key aspects of growing a business, everything from strategic planning, marketing, leadership and management, uh, understanding financial performance, and then organizational design. So uh, they then asked me to, to be the, the trainer, the facilitator of that program. And so I traveled the state over, again, about a 16-year time period. We had uh, over 2,500 business owners that went through the program, and it actually got expanded outside of Georgia into Alabama, into Kansas, uh, several other states that were all also interested in the program. And it was just a lot of fun for me to be able to work with so many different business owners, excited about growing their business and like a sponge taking in yes. as much information as they could. And then I transitioned that program into what I currently do now. It's called the Small Business Matters Boot Camp. Same, essentially the same content, now doing it through the uh, Small Business Matters uh, banner. Awesome. And you work with people from all over, right? So if anyone's listening from out of state mm-hmm. or, or what have you, they could come to the conference. Sure, absolutely. It's not yeah. just Atlanta-based. Correct. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, listen, and I think this is probably the most interesting thing because you know I like to adventure travel <laughs> as much as you do. So you have walked the 500-mile El Camino Santiago, which I've heard about mm-hmm. a lot about from different folks. You've done it twice. Yes. In the last how many years? Over the last five years. Wow. Yeah. What was that like? It was great. The first time... I did it. I did it on my own. Went solo. It's 500 miles from the France-Spanish border, the mm-hmm. Pyrenees Mountains, all the way over to the, the western coast uh, in Santiago de Capistano. It's a historic walk. It's been yep. around forever, going back to the, the apostles. And it just, uh, you meet people from all over the world. It's a spiritual journey. And then the second time I took my youngest son, he asked me if I would go with him. And so we did it as a, as a duo, as a pair. And that was great to be able to spend that much time with my son, a family member, and see him enjoy it and, and take it in, in in his own way was just fantastic. And so I would I would highly recommend it to any of your your listeners. If, if you're looking to do a sabbatical, get away. It takes about 30 days to do the walk. There's a movie called The Way that was done yep, about it. That. There have been a number of books that have done about, been done about the book. A couple hundred thousand people every year. Would Michael Douglas do the walk. It was um, Martin Sheen. Martin was Sheen. In it. That's close, right. Yeah, close. Yeah, yeah. The Sheens uh, and the Douglas. Yeah. It's hard to keep hard to keep track. A couple hundred thousand people every year uh, do the walk. It's amazing. It's great. Yeah, I have a friend that went through a pretty tough personal traumatic situation, and then he did the walk as mm-hmm. well, and it was transformative for him. So. Yeah. Good on you, man. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Thank all right. You. Well, let's get down to business since that's what we're all about, right? Right. So we talk a lot about fitness and and whatnot, but really the even the name of the podcast is the you know Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. So 
I think in the context, especially since we're moving to franchising, you know, there's a lot that happens in the startup mm. of a business. So today, I just want to walk through the, what you've already given me, which are really the five keys to a successful mm-hmm. small business startup, right? So how about we do this? I'll rattle them off and you tell me what it, what it means. Perfect. Does that sound good? Perfect. Number one is a business plan. Seems obvious, but give yeah. me your thoughts on that. Well, Rick, if you were to guess, what percentage of small businesses have a business plan that they work from and off of what would you guess i know i know it's going to be low because it's supposed to shock i want to say 80 percent because it seems like everyone should but up 50 percent. it's actually less it's less than 20 percent. the sba has studied this and have found less than 20 percent of small businesses have any type of plan a marketing plan a finance plan organizational plan a a business plan less than 20 percent and Less than 20% of all small businesses ever get to their fifth year of existence. And I look at those two statistics, and I'm convinced there's a connection between the two, that very few businesses have a plan, very few small businesses make it to their fifth year. And what's interesting to me is I think every business owner has a plan in mind. It's up here. The question is, how does it get from here down to here, down to something in writing? And as I've talked to a lot of business owners, you know, sometimes they'll say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to, to write a business plan, or I've not read a book or gone to the workshop. I don't know how to write a plan, or I don't know I need a plan. You know, I've been in this business for up 10 years. Why would I need a business plan? But the real reason I found, I think it's something very different, and I think it's the fear factor, because you know, when it sits up here, there's not a lot of accountability. You can't see my plan up here. You can't hold me accountable to it. You can't ask me questions about it. You can't challenge me on it. And so it's kind of a weak plan when it sits up here. But when I write it down, something different happens. Now you can see it. My team can see it. I've got to share it with the bank. So now there's a level of accountability that isn't there when it resides up here. So I think it's a fear factor the fear of being held up accountable, the fear of this becoming real when it's in writing. I think that's what keeps most small business owners from having a written business plan. And yet it's so important because once it's written down, this now becomes my roadmap. Like you're talking about the El Camino. Every day I had a book and every day it said, okay, you're going to walk this far. You're going to stay at this inn. Here's where you should go for dinner. And here are a few things you should see while you're in this area. So I had a plan for that El Camino. The same thing for a business. I need to have a plan that says, okay, this is how far I want to take this business this year. Here are the strategies. Here are the tactics. Who's going to, here's who's going to be responsible. It's all written down for me. So it makes for on the El Camino, the worst thing that could have happened would be for taking a wrong turn. And right. I came pretty close a couple of times. Same thing is true in business. Danger is taking a wrong turn, going the wrong direction, making the wrong decisions. And Rick, I think that's where the business plan comes in handy. Well, I think if you just look at the, you know, the statistics around business plans and staying in business five years should be a compelling enough reason. Sure. But I do. It's interesting. I never thought about it. sort of like goals, right? I mean, mm-hmm. essentially, like we obviously deal in fitness and we try to get people to be public about their goals. Yeah. But if you do so, then by default, you're going to be more accountable, mm-hmm. much less putting it down on paper, right? So that makes sense psychologically, but that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I assumed a lot of people would do it, but yeah. <laughs> maybe that's why I've uh, been around for a million yeah. years. So second one, I can certainly attest to, and I've seen this in my coaching a million times, um, adequate capital. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you see there. 
Yeah, a lot of small businesses get started in kind of a bootstrapping mentality. Is I just going to have just enough money to get the doors open, buy some stuff, some inventory, hire some people, do a little bit of marketing, and and then everything should be rosy, right? I won't need any additional capital. But the reality is, particularly for a, a growth business, that growth essentially absorbs, it sucks up cash, right? As we're growing, we need to hire more people. We need more space. We're going to expand our marketing efforts. We're going to extend credit maybe to our customers. I need more inventory. Growth sucks up cash. And unfortunately, many business owners don't realize that until they're in the midst of it. And all of a sudden, cash is getting scarce. And then instead of being able to grow as I'd like to, now it's going to have an impact on my growth. And now I may even have to go backwards in terms of the growth of my business. So in the, in the boot camp that I do, Rick, when we talk about financial performance, we look at a variety of different ratios, numbers, key performance indicators. And one of them that I, I show people how to calculate is called working capital requirements. Working capital requirements. Essentially, it takes into several considerations, but it helps you calculate how much cash you need to have access to when you're in business to make sure that you never run out of cash. Because, you know, when you run out of cash, it's game over. Right. <laughs> you may have the best product, the best people, but if you can't write a check, if you can't make payroll, it's game over. It's like right. driving your car and, and running out of oil. You know, the engine locks up and you can have a great looking car, but it's not going to move from that point on. So we calculate this working capital requirements as a function of, of the size of your company, how much revenue you've got. And then it's also a function of, of the financial model for the business, how much receivables you have, your payables on a monthly basis, how much inventory you're keeping. So essentially your working capital figures all that in. For the average small business, it usually works out to between fifty dollars and $100,000 that the business needs to have access to. And access to could be your line of credit, cash in your company checking account, Tim's cash, the amount of capital that I have personally, credit cards. Essentially, it's how much cash can I get my hands on within about a 24-hour time period. And again, for most small businesses, it works out to about fifty dollars to $100,000. The worst case scenario, I've got to have access to that cash. And so it's a very important number, an important calculation to make sure, again, I never run out of cash. Do you think this goes back to your number one business plan and a performa, right? I mean, if you don't have that, there's yeah. no possible way you could calculate, you know, cash reserves and what you're going to need to grow, right? Yeah. And yet if I'm planning to grow, you know, 20%, 30%, 40%, I've just got to understand that that growth is going to, it's going to absorb cash yep. and that I can't just expect to live organically off of the cash that's coming in from the profits of the business, the day-to-day cash flow. I've got to expect that I'm going to need additional cash. And Rick, the good news is that the bankers understand this principle. And if I approach a bank early enough to say, hey, we're growing and I'm going to need some cash to help support that growth. Most banks are happy to support that. What they don't want is for me to show up when I'm overdraft and I've run out of cash right. and then ask for money. Right. Very unlikely. Yeah. Well, that's a great point. And I think for everyone listening, I want you to hear that 
what you repeated multiple times was growth sucks up cash or basically growth takes money. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's probably a lot of different ways to say that, but I think it's, it's really important for everyone in a, especially in a small business setting to understand that if you want to grow, it's going to take some cash, right. Yeah. And some risk. Awesome. All right. So number three, have a board of advisors. Yeah. Well, you know, this one and you know, I know when I first got started in business, you know, I came out of a, got a business degree, had an MBA. I thought I knew everything there was to know about business. Why would I ask for help? Why would I seek out a coach, a, a mentor, an advisor? And yet once I got going, I found out it was the opposite. I knew very little about operating a business. And so I began asking you know, people that were already in business. And I was lucky. I had some mentors, including my father, when I first got started. Who had been, My first business was a tire store. He'd been in the tire business his entire life. And, and again, early on, I was hesitant to ask. I didn't want to look foolish. I didn't want to look like I didn't know what I was doing. So he would just start asking me questions like, like what are you doing when, when this happens? And how are you handling this situation? You know, he was smart about that. And so by doing that, he would then you know, help provide me with resources and information and guide just through asking good questions. So that was kind of my introduction to, to having an advisor. And then I had multiple people that I could go to. I had kind of an informal advisory board with that business. And then the next business was a travel agency. And same thing, I began assembling kind of an informal board of advisors. And flash forward, you know, when I got involved in Vistage, Vistage essentially is an, an advisory board for each of the members of the group. They have 12, 15 other business owners that they can bring their toughest challenges to and and get good questions, in some cases get good answers. So whether it's an informal board of advisors, my, my neighbor, my best friend, my college roommate, a parent, a, a sibling, or it could be a formal board of advisors, I sit on two advisory boards for companies that meet on a quarterly basis. And our job is, is to ask the tough questions, is to look at their business plan, look at their financials and ask questions and, and, and point out where we think there may be some trouble ahead. And so I'm, I've become naturally a strong proponent of uh, you know, having that advisory board, again, either formally or informally. It's okay to ask for help. Yeah. It's actually a sign of courage in it, a lot it, of ways, it, right? It absolutely. Yeah. Is. yeah. And everyone thinks it's the opposite. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. Everybody needs it. All right. So that's number three. Number four is have a strong why. And we'll do air quotes for strong why. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean there? I mean, I think a lot of folks here, we've talked about Simon Sinek's book, Start With the Why and why that's so important. Yeah. But, but tell us through your lens. What do you mm -hmm. mean by that? I guess, uh, Rick, a couple of things come to mind. You know, being a small business owner is really hard. And sometimes we don't, one doesn't understand that till you're in the seat and you're making tough decisions and not every day is rosy, you know, with every good day, there's maybe a couple bad days. And I think what helps many businesses persevere, particularly early on, is having a, a good understanding, good grasp of why am I in this business? What's the purpose of this business? What is our mission? And so often when I ask someone either starting their business or maybe they've been in business for a short period of time, I'll ask them that question. So what's the mission? What's the purpose of this business? And and you've you've probably had the same experience. I get that deer in the headlight, like right. I don't know, it just seemed like the right thing, or you know, I was looking for something different, or right. it's a job maybe for yeah. some. 
Unfortunately, well, hopefully you don't get that answer, right? <laughs> I wanted to work for a bigger jerk than I worked for before, so I start working for myself. Right. I wanted more stress. I wanted to work more hours. Right. I and I'd I want to make less. I mean, yeah. Yeah, so I thought I'd open a business. It's perfect. And yet when I find you know the most successful businesses that I can think of, they have a strong purpose, a strong why. And you mentioned Simon Sinek, of, and I think his TED Talk, more than anything else, solidified for me why you know, having a strong purpose is so important, not only for myself, but for something for my team to rally around. May I give you a quick of example? Of course, yeah, of course. So I was working with a, a painting company. They do commercial painting out of South Florida. And I had the owner, Frank, got together with him to do some planning a number of years ago. And I asked Frank, I said, so remind me, what is the purpose, the mission of this painting company? And he pulled out a sheet of paper and it had about a paragraph on it that some consultant had read. And it was awful. It was all. It was, you know, we do painting. Don't pull every, any punches. Too. Everybody, need, everybody needs painting. Painting's important. Everybody should love painting. Right. Said, oh, this is terrible. He said, it is. He said, I'd forgotten I had this. So I asked him, I said, so how did you get into this business? And it was called Brothers Painting. I said, I don't remember ever seeing a brother before. He said, yeah, it was me and my brother that started this practice. And he said, after about six months, he decided to go in a different direction. But I kept the name. Because all the employees, they were all men in the business, painters. He said they all called each other brother. He said, I couldn't give up the name because that's what they, brother, could you do this? Brother, could you help me with this? They, they may or may not have known each other's names, but they called each other brother. So we had to hang on to the name. So then he said, so that's where the, the name of the business came from. And he said, before I started the business, I worked for Sherwin-Williams, big paint distributor. And he said, they used to come into our warehouse and the big painting companies, they would order their paint every day. They'd come in while they were waiting for me to pull their order. He said, they would sit around talking to each other about how they were taking advantage of their clients because people don't understand paint. They don't understand the cost of paint, paint per square foot, whatever. So they would laugh and joke about how they were taking advantage of their clients. And he said, Tim, I decided that day that when I started my own painting company, I was going to figure out a way and, and help people understand painting. I wasn't going to take advantage. I was going to kind of you know create a good name for painting in the industry. And so one day he said, I did start my business and I decided that, you know, I was going to be honest and straightforward with my customers that we were, we were going to change, his words, we were going to change the game of painting, change the game of painting. And all of a sudden I, I said, Frank, I think we've figured out your purpose, your mission. He said, what? I said, what I just heard, it's brothers working together to change the game of painting. And Frank looked at me. He was a big guy. He played professional baseball. And his eyes got a little red, got a little teary. And he said, for the first time, he understood why this business existed. Brothers working together to change the game of painting. And it was really, it's a cool moment for me. Yep. And I'm sure you've seen this before when kind of the light goes off for somebody. And he said, that's it. That's it. And a funny story, he went back to Miami. I was in Atlanta. About a week later, I got a package in the mail. It's a white long sleeve painter's T-shirt. I thought, well, what a nice gift! And on the front of part, on the front of the T-shirt, it said "Brothers Painting of South Florida." Turned around on the back of the T-shirt, it said in quotes, "Brothers working together to change the game of painting." And from that day on, I know it's had a significant impact on his on him and his business, because now there's clarity around why this business exists. And when things get tough, as they do. That's when it's time to resort back to why are we in this business? 
That's great story. And I think that helps them in so many different facets of their business. I mean, imagine, you know, you're going to hire new talent, right? And in this day and age, purpose is a big value mm-hmm. proposition yeah. to, to someone to bring onto your team. And so imagine if it's like, hey, everybody's looking to belong to something. So mm-hmm. I'm going to join this band of brothers, right? Yeah. To change this game of painting, which maybe things, two things maybe aren't directly connected, mm-hmm. but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And you're exactly right. And they found the research, today's world, very tight labor market, that younger workers, millennials, Gen Ys, and even the Gen Zs, more important than any previous generation, the idea that I want to be doing meaningful work. In Harvard Business Review, there was a study, the majority of younger workers today are willing to take a cut in pay if they believe they're doing meaningful work. Well, it's funny, and you can, you think about like you think about painting, right? There's not a, I mean, fitness, what we do, it's easy, right? Mm-hmm. If you're running a small fitness business, it's pretty obvious what you're trying to do. And you can directly put your hands on life-changing moments, right? Yeah. But painting, not so much. I remember a story about, um, you've probably read Delivering Happiness by mm-hmm. uh, Tony, Tony Shea, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's basically what the book was about. And he even said at one point, like, I don't even like shoes. I like people mm-hmm. and I like making people happy. And so we're going to sell shoes, but what we're really selling and delivering is happiness to people and shoes are the vehicle, you know? So same kind of idea. It could be paint, could be anything. Yeah. Great point. Love it. Thank you. Last number five, a growth mindset. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This one I think is really important, Rick, that I think the most successful business owners have what's termed a growth mindset. There was a really good book that came out. It's probably been eight to 10 years written by Dr. Carol Dweck, Stanford professor. And the book is called Mindset. And in the book, she makes the point that there are two different types of mindsets that everyone has one of. One is a growth mindset. A growth mindset is an individual who says, you know what? I know this much of this, and I may never get here, but I want to learn. I want to read. I want to go to workshops. I want to grow. I want to get better. And on the flip side is a fixed mindset. And it's not good or bad. A fixed mindset is someone who says, I've been doing this for a while, and I'm not sure there's much more to learn here. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. I don't need to grow. I don't need to watch TED Talks. I'm happy. I'm satisfied with where I am. That's so sad. Yeah, it is for for us. I I just can't imagine. But I run into people all the time. and they're Are they happy um, with where they are? They can be, but they live in a world of fear to some extent, because they're fearful of making mistakes. Because if I have a fixed mindset, and I pretty much have learned all there is to learn, heaven forbid I should make a mistake. How could this happen? Yeah, I'm all-knowing. Where individuals with a growth mindset, they almost look forward to making mistakes, because mistakes are learning opportunities. It's um, I remember Jim Collins in Good to Great said, you know, you want to shoot bullets and not A-bombs. So right. you know when you make mistakes, you want to make little mistakes. Yeah, bullets before cannonballs. Bullets before cannonballs, Get your range, yeah. yep. So I don't want to blow up the universe, but I also understand that the only way I'm going to learn and get better is by taking chances, taking risks, and I'm going to fail from time to time. I'm going to learn from those mistakes. So I think that's so important for a business owner, a small business owner, to have that growth mindset then I haven't figured this out yet, but there are people who, who have, and I'm going to learn from them. I'm going to experiment. You know, I'm going to have this laboratory mindset where I'm, this is a laboratory that I'm working in. We're going to experiment. 
and we're going to make a mistake or two. And we're going to learn from those mistakes. I just think that mindset, that growth mindset is really important. I have a good buddy who's been very successful in the fitness space. He's a young guy. And um, one of his core values, which I love and, and may steal it at some point, um, is grow or die. Mm-hmm. So there is a, you know, a certain people believe that you're either moving forward or you're moving backward. There's no standing still. What would you say about that? Oh, I, I think that's true. There's no neutral. <laughs> so, the, so that person that you're talking to, that you'd be coaching, that's saying, I know everything that there is to know, you know, I'm not, they're not really sitting still, right? They're not, they're actually moving backwards, whether they know it or not. Would you agree? Oh yeah. And you're absolutely right. And the important, I think the corollary to that is if they're going backwards, their business is going backwards because the business is the same way. Business is never in neutral. You're either growing or you're regressing. And as an individual, the business will only go as far as you're capable of taking it. And so if you're not advancing, if you're not learning, if you're and your people as well, you're at risk of the business being in that same position. Yeah, and that's why I think having that something like that in a core value is is uber important because oh, yeah. then as you bring people on, you are speaking about the organization, but you're also talking about each individual on the team and you need to be able to attract people who have a growth mindset mm-hmm. because if you don't, it's going to feel there's a lot of friction between, you know, you're pushing, right? Instead of pulling them mm-hmm. along, you're like pushing them to grow and grow and learn and, and creating a culture where it's okay to make mistakes, mm-hmm. right? To have a true lab mentality. And you're, and if you're not making mistakes, you're not growing at all. There's no right. way you could be, you know, bad a thousand. It's just yeah. impossible. So yeah, man, I love it. All right. So just to recap, have a solid business plan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be properly, uh, adequately capitalized. Right. Don't run out of kind cash. Kind of important, right? Find some advisors, whether it's uh, through like, a, like again, for me, Vistage Group, a guy mm-hmm. like yourself, you know, as a business coach or a true board of advisors, would have, have some folks that have been there and, and be mm-hmm. humble enough to ask for help, right? Or smart enough, you should say. Yeah. Find your strong why, because that's going to keep you going through the tough times. And then ultimately keep that growth mindset, regardless of where your business is, and keep moving forward. Would you say that sums it up? You hit it. All five. Very so if nice. I do all those things, yeah. I'm going to be successful. Is that right? You have the potential to be successful. <laughs> knowing Whoa. that luck is still a big part of it. Yeah, it is. I saw something the other day. It was from a, some, a Google analyst, I believe. And it was sort of the, there was four, it was a short TED Talk, and there was four predictors of success hmm. for a startup. And unfortunately, and fortunately, number one was timing. Mm-hmm. And timing is a, is a really tough to predict, right? So yeah. a lot of times you hit the right market at the right time with the right product or service, mm-hmm. and you just, you just catch, right? But I think if you do all the things that you've talked about, you're mitigating your risk as best mm-hmm. as possible. And let's just say if you're in this growth mindset, at least you're open to new opportunities, mm-hmm. right? And that's the only way you can grab that lightning, right, is to be always open and looking mm-hmm. for it all the time. So, and op- open to change. Open to change, willing to yep. call an audible, you know, using a football yes. metaphor that sometimes you have to get up to the line of scrimmage and call an audible. I really hope my team's listening to this because they say I have a squirrel brain and I'm changing all the time. So I might, it might not always be good, but I think it's sometimes it's really good. Tim, it's been a real pleasure. Listen, I appreciate you as a coach and as a friend. Oh, and, thank uh, you. I hope everyone got some value from it. I'm going to put all of Tim's information and his beautiful mug in the show notes. So I would highly recommend checking out Small Business Matters, sign up for the newsletter, um, get to a conference or a workshop or a luncheon if you can, even if you're not local, make a trip into Atlanta. I appreciate you, man. Oh, thank you, Rick. I enjoyed it. See you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Alloy Personal Training Business Podcast. If you have any questions for the host or are interested in learning more about running a successful personal training business of your own, please reach out and say hello. 
Connect with us at www.alloypersonaltraining.com and sign up for